So we are on now lesson four, and that is because I messed up and gave Paul the wrong lesson last week. So we're going back. It's lesson five, but we dropped a lesson, so it's lesson so it's lesson four online. So anyway, yes. Uh, so and the title of the lesson now, and that is my apology. Now on online, it'll come up in the right order. So the title of the lesson is Jesus prepares his followers to lead. It is uh, scripture is Mark chapter six. So, Lord, we thank you that uh, when we are in you, you don't want to just uh, save us and then that's it, but you want to save us to use us for your purposes, and uh, you train us for that, and just like you trained the, the first disciples who became the apostles, who are the foundation of the church, um, so we pray that we would be willing to be trained by you and we pray that you'd guide us as we look at this today. In Jesus' name, amen. So anyway, our first section is Jesus is rejected at home. And that is chapter 6, verses 1 through 6a. Um, shall I start off reading that? Okay. Okay, so... Mark chapter 6, verse 1. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown. And his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter? the son of Mary and brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered at their unbelief. So what do you think of that? Do you think that your family takes you lightly? <laughs> is that a normal thing to do? Well, Jesus is saying he's the Messiah. And they're saying, no way. <laughs> yeah, they're saying no way. Yeah. Yeah, so... Verse 1, he went to his hometown, which of course was Nazareth, and he had been in Capernaum. Remember, Capernaum is kind of his home base now in his ministry in Galilee. And that was uh, 20 miles southwest of Capernaum, Nazareth. And he came with, as a rabbi with students, disciples in tow. So Jesus went from there and came into his hometown. His disciples followed him. So he now is a, a teacher or a rabbi with his own band of students coming back home. And verse 2, it says, he began to teach, and the many listeners were astonished. And they've said that before about Jesus, that his teaching astonished them. Back in chapter 1, verse 22, it says, this is in Capernaum, they were amazed at his teaching, 
for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He was teaching as though the Bible originated with him, which it does. <laughs> so, um, with authority. But then in verse 3, they, they say, now, wait a minute. So, you know, they're astonished, but they're saying, isn't this the carpenter? And they, they knew him. He was nothing special. And then they called him son of Mary, which the quarterly says is an insult to be called by your mother's name instead of your father's name, the son of Mary. And so, you know, he probably, his unusual birth was probably known and it was probably thought that there was something illegitimate there, you know, because of his virgin birth. Um, so many have probably assumed of some kind of sinful origin for him. Of course, we know that that is not the case. But because of this, they took offense at him. Of course, also, now it's not in Mark's gospel, but in Luke's gospel, the same visit, Jesus quoted the Isaiah prophecy of the Messiah, and then he closed the book and sat down and said, this, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that made them so angry. Let's look at that. That's in Luke 4, verse 23. Luke 4, verse 17, it says, The book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written. Now, this is in Nazareth. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to him, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So then he goes on to say, and then they're, and then they say, you know, is the, isn't this uh, Mary's son? And, and verse 23 of Luke chapter 4, And he said to them, No doubt you'll quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. Whatever we heard was done at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. Then he goes on to say, so he's, it's like he's, you know, riling them up on purpose. He says, But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land, and yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. And all the people in the synagogue were filled with rage, as they heard these things, because, you know, Gentiles were helped. Israel was not helped because they didn't believe. And they got up and drove him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill on which their city had been built in order to throw him down the cliff. So they wanted to kill him, the people in Nazareth. Mark doesn't really give us that sense, but that's what happened there in Nazareth when he visited his hometown. 
And then verse 5 says, And he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, do you think that he could not do any miracle? Jesus had no lack of power. But he does not honor unbelief. He will not honor unbelief. And so they were in unbelief. And so, you know, there must have been a few sick people there that had some faith. And so, hi. And so he laid his hands on them and healed them. You know, without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. So if you want God to do something for you and you do not believe in him, tough luck. He's not going to do anything for you. Yeah, because he... Yeah, every, he, he were, it's by faith. Everything is by faith. You have to trust what he says. So, and that's true for us too. And so, you know, I think the church has fallen much of it into unbelief. We have a form of godliness, but we deny its power. So this is from Hebrews 4, and this, is, this has really been, passage has really been sticking with me. Uh, lately, this is about the Exodus generation. So they saw all the miracles in Egypt. They came out. They came out through the Red Sea, walking on dry land. They had every reason to believe. Hebrews four verse one says, "Therefore, let us fear, if while a promise remains of entering His rest, what is His rest? His rest is the life you can have if you live trusting in Him. That's His rest." Any one of you, any one of you may seem to have come short of it, for indeed we have had good news preached to us, that's the gospel, just as they also, but the word they heard, that's the Exodus generation, did not profit them. Why? Because it was not united by faith in those who heard. So the, the scripture was, Moses told them, but they didn't believe it. So, it didn't benefit them. If you are told the scripture and you don't believe it, you will not benefit from it. That's just how it is, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. Okay, so we're to section B already. Jesus sends out the disciples. That is uh, the end of verse 6 through verse 13. Can I get a reader for that part? Yeah, so 6B, and he was going around the villages teaching. Going around the villages teaching. Learning and teaching the Word of God should be a major part of the Christian life. Learning and teaching the Word of God should be a major part of the Christian life. Have you noticed as we're going through Mark, that's what Jesus is doing all the time. He's teaching. He goes here, he teaches. He goes there, he teaches. He's teaching everywhere he goes. So we need to know and teach the Word of God because the Word of God is, number one, what our food, correct? That was our January memory verse. Matthew 4, verse 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word 
that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So we're to live on the word of God. Then 1 Peter 2 and chapter 2 also talks about the word of God. Yeah, I love our, our, um, our memory program. I mean, the one we're memorizing now is powerful. But anyway, this is 1 Peter 2, verse 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The word of God, you know, it exposes us to Jesus. As we're exposed to Jesus, we're conformed into his image. Um, it says that in Second Corinthians somewhere. And so that, that's what we need to be doing a lot, a lot of that. So in verse 7, and he summoned the twelve. Now, I think it's interesting that he went to Nazareth, and the Son of God himself tried to teach and was rejected. And then he sends out his uh, disciples to teach. Do you think they might be rejected? <laughs> Yeah, if if the master is rejected, then maybe the students might be rejected too. And so it would probably make them feel less bad if their success was spotty, you know. I wonder if he did that on purpose. I don't know. But anyway, verse 7 says, And he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in pairs and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So they went out in pairs... And the quarterly referred to Deuteronomy 19.15, which talks about witnesses, you know. If you testify to a, a fact, an, an event, or something, there had to be two to three witnesses. And so what they're testifying to is the fact that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. And there's two of them going out, so that is, you know... It's not just one witness. They go out in two pairs, in pairs. So, And then he gave them authority over unclean spirits. So he gave them the gift of exorcism. They could exorcise. He gave them authority to do that. Um, yeah, they, they were very excited that they could do that when they came back, weren't they? So, and what? why do you think he gave them that authority? Well, and it authenticates his message. It authenticates his message. You know, John, the, the book of John talks about seven signs and seven discourses. The seven signs are to authenticate the discourses that this indeed is the Son of God. So, the... Uh, the the gospel is full of miracles, full of miracles. And because the, the message that they're bringing was true, it was from God, and it was that this man is the Messiah of Israel. He is the God-man. He is the one you must come to to have your sins forgiven. Otherwise, you're going to hell. Um, and so this is to authenticate the message. But he gave authority um, to do that. 
And then verse 8, And he instructed them that they should take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt. So he, they were told to travel light. God would supply their needs, nothing but a staff and sandals. Does this preclude planning on our part? When we Do we take this and say this is normative for us as Christians and that we should not plan for anything? We should not prepare for anything. No. <laughs> this is a special mission for the disciples, a special training mission. Okay? And he told them specifically for that mission. So this is uh, the difference between descriptive language and proscriptive language, okay, to us. There are, there are commands given to believers that they should do. Okay, we need to learn to discern between the ones that are to us and the ones that are just described what was done that are not to us, but just shows us what happened in the past. And this is one of those things. And then verse, uh, verse 10, he said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. So, you know, if they're willing to take you in, just stay there, don't look for a better place, or, um, you know, just stay where you are. And he will oversee it, and he, it will work out. And then he warned them about rejection. Any place that does not receive you or listen to you as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet for a testimony against them. Apparently, that's what the Jews did when they were leaving Gentile territory. They would shake the dust of their feet because they're leaving a place of unbelievers. Even the soil was unclean. The soil was unclean, yeah. It's like the Gaza Strip. <laughs> now, <laughs> they're making the soil unclean. They're... So, and they went out and preached that men should repent. Now, it doesn't say repent of what. What does the word repent mean? Yeah, the, repent translates the Greek word metanoia, which means change your mind yep. about something. It doesn't really say what they're to repent about. I'm assuming it's repent about your uh, stance toward Jesus. Repent about your stance toward Jesus. Your stance toward him should be to embrace him and not to reject him. And verse 13, and they were casting out many demons and were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. So they were healing as well as exorcising people, again, authenticating the message. So miracles accompanied the preaching. Yeah, the piggy story, yeah. Now we give them Thorazine. We give the demon-possessed Thorazine and let them go <laughs> out into the world. Get, let them go to the New York subway. That's what we do with the demon possessed now. I don't know about you, but I thought it was weird. You know, the title of my sermon today is The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. <laughs> and then yesterday, Israel declares a war on Hamas. And I think, how appropriate is that? <laughs> you know, that's weird. Anyway, so, so anyway, section C. Uh, John is executed, so we're taking a little uh, departure here.
Does anybody want to read verses 14 through 29? So now, this kind of shows us uh, what sin will do in Herod. It started out with immorality. He married, both of them were married to other people, and they married each other while they were married to other people, and they were related mm-hmm. by physically as well. So it was incestual, it was immoral. And then what went on, you know, so he's weak in that way. And he was afraid of John because John was telling him that this marriage was wrong. But John had had uh, moral power. John had moral power because he was following the Lord. He was doing what the Lord said. And so he Herod was afraid of him. Almost kind of mystically afraid, you know, that he would he could get him. <laughs> and he interested him. He liked to listen to him. And then, you know. If you're immoral, you might tend to also be prideful and and uh, boastful. And so, you know, his wife, who was evil, tricked him. And his pride made led him to uh, grossly execute John. But anyway, verse 14, King Herod heard of it. Now, for his name had become well-known, and people were saying, John the Baptist has risen from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But there was a, kind of a disagreement about what was going on. But others were saying he is Elijah, and others were saying he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. When Jesus asked the disciples who he was, that's some of the things they brought up. They brought up those same things. So, But Herod was certain... Why do you think? Probably because he was guilty, felt guilty. When Herod heard of it, he kept saying, John, whom I beheaded, has risen. He was afraid of John. So, um, but the miracles of Jesus and the Twelve were getting around. And that's that got back to Herod, and they were speculating. And so Herod, with a guilty conscience, thought that it was John resurrected. And verse 18 John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Um, again, you know, they they totally trashed the marriage <laughs> rules. <laughs> and also the, uh, the Mosaic law against incest. So, um, so yeah, there, it was very immoral. And Herodias had murderous intent. Verse 19, Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so because Herod wouldn't go for it. She'd probably talked to him before. But it says Herod was afraid of John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man. He kept him safe. And when he heard him, he was very perplexed. But he used to enjoy listening to him. That's interesting, you know. He's perplexed, but he liked to listen to him. You know, you you wonder if the Holy Spirit was working on Herod. On Herod. Yeah, we know who's working on Herodias. 
Yeah. So then the strategic day came, and Herodias set this up. This is a setup here. When Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So there's a big festival. All the military leaders are there. The commanders are there. Herod is not going to want to be belittled in front of them, right? And then verse 22, And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, which I'm sure her mother proposed to her that she do that, she pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me for whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore to her, Whatever you ask of me, I will give it to you, up to half of my kingdom. So he didn't have a kingdom. <laughs> but it, it's a figure of speech, right? Ask whatever you want. Ask whatever you want. He's being very magnanimous. You know, he's probably been drinking, I imagine. Probably. Yeah. And she went and said to her mother, what shall I ask? You know, that is another indication that this was a setup. Because she goes back to mom. Mom says, I want you to dance for your stepfather and, and be, you know, seducing, be sexy. And if he offers you something, you tell him, come back to me. Immediately she came in a hurry and asked, and and she said the head of John the Baptist, and she wanted proof. So immediately she came in a hurry to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once. Not, don't wait. Don't put it off for a month from now. I want it at once. The head of John the Baptist on a platter. So King Herod made a foolish promise. Have you ever made a promise you wanted to take back? Herodias. <laughs> That's what kind of a person? That's our sin nature. We want to murder our obstacles. Yeah, Herod did not deal in morality. He did not deal in morality. He couldn't really say that. Um, that was the whole point. So, and Herodias... You know, because sin is uh, degrading, and yet we have pride, which is also sin. We don't want our other sin being brought up around us, and we will kill something that exposes our sin. That's how we are in the sin nature. So, it does. It does. Sin. That's why sin grows until it will kill you. Yeah, sin will just grow until it will kill you. So, um, so yeah, we've all made promises we wanted to take back. That's why, you know, when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, you need to be very careful when people ask you things. <laughs> Can I commit to that? Because if you say yes, you should do it, right? So you should be careful when people ask for things or ask for commitments. You should think carefully. Am I willing to do that? Verse 26, And although the king was very sorry, yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests, he was unwilling to refuse her. So immediately the king sent an executioner 
commanded him to bring back his head, and he went and had him beheaded in the prison. The Lord allowed this to happen, didn't he? If the Lord did not want this to happen, this would not happen. And the forerunner of the Messiah kind of prefigures the what's going to happen to the Messiah. Um, is that he's going to be executed. So, and the two were cousins, John and Jesus. You know, so the family is taking a hit, but they're going to be in glory for eternity. So anyway, and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Now I wonder what the girl's face looked like when she got a decapitated head on a platter. Yeah, I wonder if she thought, what have I done? And then the apostles gathered together with Jesus. No, when his disciples, John's disciples, heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. So they took care of him. Okay, so that's kind of a little aside about what happened to John. And now the next section is Jesus feeds more than 5,000. That's 30, verses 30 through 44. I'll read that one. The apostles, this is one of only two places in Mark where he uses that word, the apostles. Every place else is the disciples. Because they have been sent, right? The apostles are the sent ones. He's sent them on this evangelistic mission. So the apostles gathered together with Jesus, and they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. They went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The people saw them going, and many recognized them, and ran there together on foot from all the cities and got there ahead of them. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. When it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, This place is desolate, and it is already quite late. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they're saying, what? (laughs) And they said to him, shall we go and spend 200 denarii on bread and give them something to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go look. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. And he commanded them all to sit down by groups on the green grass. They sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up toward heaven, he blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples to sit before them. And he divided up the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up twelve full baskets of the broken pieces and also of the fish. There were five thousand men who ate the loaves. That sounds like a good lunch. I think there were others there, too. Yeah. 
Yeah, so in verse 30, they were called apostles, um, and then they told Jesus of their mission. And then Jesus says, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Now, we talk, looked at that Hebrews chapter 4 passage about entering into Christ's rest. Is that always physically restful, to enter into Christ's rest? Not really, because the Lord calls you into things, doesn't he? The Lord calls you into missions. He calls you into uh, projects. He calls you into service, which can be tiring. Um, but it's very rewarding, and it, you know, it doesn't wear you out. And he cares for you, and that's what he did with these guys. He said, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. Because they were so busy, they couldn't eat. They couldn't take time out to eat. So they went away in the boat to a secluded place. Now, what happened? The people saw where they were going. They got in a boat. They aimed their boat over there. The people ran around on shore, and they got there before them. <laughs> And they met them there. Now, if you're going on a vacation and people are chasing you to your vacation spot <laughs> and they're all crowding around when you get there, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to be annoyed, right? What did Jesus do? Yeah, what did Jesus do? He felt compassion for them. Mm -hmm. He felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then what did he do? He began to teach them again. He began to teach them. So that is why we want to preach the word. We want to teach the word. We want to always be in the word. We're going to go, We're going to go rest for a little vacation, little R&R, &R, <laughs> as Val likes to say. A little R&R, &R, and they go there, and they're hound. <laughs> they're just piled on. <laughs> you know. After an hour or two of rowing. Yes, after an hour or two of rowing. And the Lord is so gracious to these people. He has compassion on them. He, feel, he feels for them, you know. That's and not a bad model. That is not a bad model. Yeah. So, see, in that, in that our sin nature would say, that's it, man. Get away from me. <laughs> but, My sin nature would have got back in that boat. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and planted the acre <laughs> and got fishing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so verse 35, when it was already quite late, his disciples came to him and said, this place is desolate, it's already quite late. And he, they had practical solution. He said, send, the, send them over to 7-Eleven or over to McDonald's so they can get something to eat, you know. And Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. Now, does the Lord ever give you things that are too much? Yeah, that's what he's doing, isn't it? He's giving them something that's too much. They said, huh? <laughs> and then 200 denarii are, is uh, 800 or eight months worth of uh, money, eight, eight months worth of a regular laborer's income. It's 200 denarii they estimated it would take to buy enough bread for these people. So, yeah, it's too much. 
And that is part of what walking in faith is, too. If you just walk in faith, the Lord will use you to do things that are too much for you. You know, you just want to yield yourself to the Lord, present, you know, Romans chapter 12 says, present your members to the Lord for his use. He will use you, and you will do things that seem too much to the natural person. Um, and for his glory, because he's doing it through you. So they're trying to figure out how they're doing this, you know, according to the world or according to the flesh. Well, we have to get this much money. I don't know where we're going to get it. So he encourages them, how many loaves do you have? Go and look. So they go and look. Okay, we have five. We found this kid. He has five and a couple of fish. And so he tells them to sit down. And he says the blessing. We thank the Lord for our food. And so the Lord was taken thanking the Father for the food. And as he was thanking the Father for the food, he began to distribute the food. And it's interesting in verse 41, it says, He blessed the food and broke the loaves, and he kept giving them to the disciples. Kept giving, yeah, it was ongoing. He kept breaking them and giving them, and kept doing it. It must have been interesting to see as he was doing that. That he would, yeah, as he kept giving them. So, and they ate, all ate, and were satisfied, and there were 5,000 men. There were also women and children that were not counted. So I, I've seen estimates of like 20,000 people or something, 15, 20,000 people. From a kid's lunch, this is who we serve. That's right. There was one who came prepared. That's right. So basically, you know, that's resting in the... And so the disciples participated in this. And that's what we can do. And it just doesn't stop. Yeah. So the Lord, the Lord can... He can do that. So that's why, why we want to day by day present ourselves to the Lord for his use. Yeah, we don't come to him with our own ideas. We say, Lord, I'm yours. Do what you want. Show me where to go. Okay, so section E, Jesus walks on the lake. So this is 45 through 56. Um, I'll go ahead and read that one since we're running out of time here again, like usual. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land, seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them. At about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. 
When they got out of the boat, immediately the people recognized him and ran about that whole country and began to carry here and there on their pallets those who were sick to the place they heard he was. Wherever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that they might just touch the fringe of his cloak, and as many as touched it were being cured. So they left quick. Why did they leave quick? It says, verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. The Gospel of John tells us, Yeah, and they wanted to make him king by force at that time because he could make food. <laughs> and Jesus did not want the kingdom that way. He had a, a plan. He first had to pay for the sins of the world. So then these fishermen were out there from evening to after midnight. They were trying to cross the lake, and they were blown south into the middle of the lake. They were going nowhere. And Jesus was out there, was praying for hours while they were out struggling. Then verse, uh, But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, as I do not be afraid. You would think they'd get used to this, but they, they don't. He says, take courage, I have power over nature, including gravity. So what insight do you think they had not gained from the loaves? Verse 52, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Probably that this is God we're dealing with here. You know, this is God we're dealing with. That hadn't, it seems like it hadn't come upon them or something or or they forgot or I don't know yeah yeah this is God we're dealing with here and then notice that the people were coming up and touching him and his curate was how many what was his percentage curate we like to talk about this in medicine 100% everyone who touched him was healed so Jesus is a sure thing. The ghost coming for us. Yeah, that's true. That's learning to walk by faith. You can. You're saved. Yes, Jesus saved me from sin. Do I believe He can get me through this crisis? No, I don't. We have to learn. That's what we have to learn to trust Him in life too. Yeah. I think that is His nature to make everything better. Lord, we thank you for these examples of your marvelous works, and uh, we, uh, I don't know, I just pray that we could walk in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.